morning. <laughs> uh, our scripture reading for today is from Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, I have found favor in your sight. Do not pass by your servant. Let a, wa- let a little water be brought. Wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on. As you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. Three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds of milk, or curds and milk, and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. He stood in by them under the tree while they ate. He said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointment time, I will return to you, appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. And thanks, Brooklyn. Man, so exciting to be here in Genesis, digging in. I got to spend uh, two days this week with a bunch of other pastors in town on a preaching workshop, and so uh, it's so fun to be able to actually just be here preaching today live after all that fun uh, classroom time, digging into the text to actually do the real thing. It's really scandalous that they pay people to do this kind of thing. I mean, can you believe it? To, to study the Bible and then get to preach it to other people, man, what a, what a privilege, what a treat. This morning, and uh, these Old Testament narratives are really just uh, beautiful. God is doing so much in the lives of these broken and flawed individuals that it's just incredible to see his grace uh, coming through. And so if you're new with us, if you're just meeting, uh, we are in the midst of a series on the life of Abraham. We are calling Walking by Faith. And so midway through, I want to give you a maybe a working definition of faith here. And I think it should be up there on the screen for you. Uh, If you're looking for something more concrete, if you're more of the engineering persuasion, right? Uh, Yeah, faith is trust or dependence on God based on the fact that we take Him at His word and believe what He said. Trust or dependence on God based on the fact that we take Him at His word and believe what He said, and that's what Abraham does in his journey, right? He takes God at his word. God promises him, you know, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham actually goes and steps out in faith, on dependence on God, trusting him to do what he said, and he actually acts 
upon it. If you're more of a uh, visual learner, uh, the illustration that I've used for faith throughout this series has been this illustration of the chair, right? We've got the little, you know, we've got the little chair and we can talk about a chair and how wonderful it is and how important it is for sitting and we could theorize about the chair and we could think about a chair and how functional it is. But until you, you know, you actually sit in the chair, right, you're not really, you know, expressing a lot of dependence upon God, a lot of trust in him. And so my hope and prayer for this series is that this would not just be, oh, yeah, I can quote the definition of faith to you guys, trust or dependence upon God. But you'd actually take, you'd sit down in the chair, you'd actually step into life with God and that you'd actually engage with him, and so um, with with that being said, we are in <clears throat> this morning uh, in chapter eighteen. We've watched Abraham take his first faltering steps of faith, actually trusting that God is real, and then actually acting upon it. Um, we've seen him take those faltering steps of faith. We've seen him uh, a couple relapses in his faith. Right as he he kind of forgets who God is, uh, loses that trust or dependence, and makes some pretty colossal mistakes, like like some of us, right, in the midst of his life. But we've also seen some incredible highlights of Abram's faith along um, the way. But through all this, through the ups and downs of Abraham's faith journey, through the ups and downs of our faith journey, one thing is constant, right, God's faithfulness to us. And chapter 18 gives us another beautiful window into that faithfulness of God. Chapter 18 is divided neatly into two stories with two Uh, Very different, but very memorable lines. The first having to do with God's sufficiency. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the second having to do with God's justice. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And so we're going to focus on this first story. And I'm going to leave God's justice to Josh for next week as he tackles uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Now I realize um, we are kind of swimming upstream talking about faith, right? We are living in an age of skepticism, right? An age of doubt and cynicism, right? We're seeing the rise of the nuns, not the, not the ones that you see walking around Catholic monasteries, but the no, no, ones with no religious affiliation, right? That's on the rise, particularly amongst the, the Gen Z crowd, many of your peers and friends and that you're walking alongside of. Maybe you know people right now that are deconstructing their faith, that are walking away from their faith, that are giving up faith altogether, right? That's just kind of the cultural era in which we're living in. Uh, You know, there's so much abuse, and there's so much abuse of authority that so many people have lost faith, right, in the institutions around us, lost faith in government, lost faith in business, (laughs) lost faith in the church because of the corruption that's going on there. Uh, And so preaching a series on faith, I realize, is uh, we're swimming upstream here. Uh, And we need to really think about and wrestle with uh, the challenges that faith brings. And so this morning, the big question we're going to be considering is, how do we respond when our faith is stretched to the breaking point? How do we respond when our faith is stretched to the breaking point? And to answer that question, uh, we're going to be looking three things here. God's good news in verses 1 through 10, Sarah's faith as it's stretched to that breaking point, and God's searching questions in this text. And my aim for this morning's sermon is that we would walk away like Sarah, reflecting on God's promises, God's patience, and God's power. And so as we dive into God's word this morning, let's pray. 
Father, in our faith journey, we all go through seasons of stretching. Uh, Sometimes those stretches are small, and sometimes those stretches bring us to the point of breaking. God, you make these incredible promises to us, uh, but the gap between those promises and our lived experience can sometimes feel so great. And so would you help us to wrestle, uh, God, with our doubt and with our cynicism this morning, right? The ways we struggle to grab a hold of who you are uh, by faith. And would you minister to us by your Holy Spirit? Help us to trust you, to depend on you, to rely on you, and actually live our lives in accordance. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, So let's set the scene here. We start with some beautiful good news in chapter 18. God himself is going to be on the scene making a little cameo. And so in chapter 18, verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And so that's pretty cool, right? It's not often that God himself just kind of shows up and makes an appearance and, you know, behold, there there he is. Uh, We know that it's God because, of course, our text tells us, and the Lord, if you're following along. And if you're not following along, you should be following along. You should have the Bible out in front of you. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's this, this beautiful text in which we're following. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And we know it's the Lord, obviously, because we're told uh, the two men that are with him are angels. We know that from Genesis 19. We'll, we'll see that next week. Um, and uh, we see here also that God has significant news. News so wonderful, so significant that he wants to deliver it in person, right? God himself is on the scene and he has this beautiful news that he wants to deliver to his friend Abraham and he wants to do it in person. That's pretty incredible. Uh, Abraham somehow recognizes that these are no ordinary visitors and he steps into hyperdrive here in two. I love this. He lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the earth. Now, can you just imagine this 99-year-old man like just picking up his like skirts and running to these guys in the heat of the day in this crazy hot Middle Eastern climate? This is shocking behavior. You're meant to be a little bit scandalized by this old man running. You know, I mean, we got that beautiful picture of that in Luke 15, but here it is again. Get this old man. He's he's running to meet these visitors. He's bowing down to the earth, which, you know, is the response that you do to a great king or emperor, like, you know, to give this obeisance where you just kind of lay face down and uh, give honor to someone. This is not like normal Middle Eastern hospitality, which is brilliant and wonderful and beautiful, but this is over the top, and we're meant to see that And he said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. Abraham's asking for God's favor. He's saying, would you come and share a meal with me? That Hebrew word for favor is also the word for grace, right? Abraham's that beautiful word for grace, God's grace to Abraham. He's like, Hey, if you would extend your favor, your grace, be please come enjoy a meal with your servant. And they said, do as you say. And then Abram went quickly into the tent. He's dashing off once again, 
quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abram ran to the herd and took a calf tenderly and good and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So this is all of the beauties of Middle Eastern hospitality. Water for washing their feet, some quick hors d'oeuvres here, throw some bread together, and then, you know, the, the main course, the main entree, this tender calf prepared to perfection, curds and milk. I mean, you're just talking hours of preparation to put together an extraordinary feast and lay it before these honored <coughs> visitors. And they said to him, after this wonderful feast that God has just shared, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And so we just need to remember here, right, that Sarah is 90 years old at this point. God has promised them descendants all the way back 25 years ago, back in Genesis 12. Uh, But it's been a long time, but God has come with the delightful Beautiful news that this time next year, Sarah is finally going to have the long-awaited baby. And wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if God would personally come down and share a meal with us and tell us some good news? Any of you got, anybody like that? Anybody would like to have God come down and just <laughs> kind of like share a meal and like give us like, that would be cool, wouldn't it? That's pretty amazing to think about. And it's actually quite striking that we can come to the ministry of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that that is exactly what happens, right? God himself comes down, shares countless meals with people from radically different walks of life and offers this phenomenal good news to the whole world. I don't know if any of you have seen the new streaming series, The Chosen. Anybody seen that? Uh, it's a great little take on Jesus and just a Jesus film, but, but they really do these beautiful vignettes of Jesus eating with people. I love episode two. Uh, Mary is there, and like Jesus is just hanging with her for their, their Sabbath meal together, and you just get the sense that like Jesus loved hanging out with people, enjoying a meal, and that he had incredibly good, liberating news for her. And then another scene, it's Matthew, the tax collector, And we just see Jesus doing what Jesus does, just offering his extravagant grace and welcome and giving good news to those deeply in need of it. God's desire is to restore fellowship with us, to share a meal with us. We see that here in Genesis 18. We see that most centrally in the Bible, in the Gospels, when Jesus himself is on the scene And of course, we as a church share a little miniature meal with Jesus each week in anticipation of the great feast uh, that is coming. A meal is very central to the good news of the gospel. So Abram and Sarah get this amazing appearance from the Lord. They share a meal with him and hear the good news directly from his own mouth. But this good news seems too good to be true, and it stretches Sarah's faith to the point of breaking. So let's look more closely at it. Let's notice Sarah's response here. This is at the end of verse 10. And Sarah was listening, if you're following along here, at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I 
have this pleasure? Shall I have pleasure? It's one of those rhetorical questions that demands an answer, in this case, in the negative, right? Sarah is not expecting this to happen. Uh, We know that Abraham laughed in response to this good news back in chapter 17, uh, the text Ken was preaching on. But God used this moment of incredulity to strengthen his faith and take it to new heights, as Paul highlights in Romans 4, which is a beautiful exposition of Abraham's faith. Here, Sarah also laughs, but it appears to be a cold, cynical, sarcastic sort of laugh, right? It's been 25 years since God called them to go to the promised land and still no children, still no fulfillment of the promise that God had given her. She has doubtless tried all the fertility treatments in the ancient Near East to no avail, and at this point, she has given up all hope. And added to that, she has, at this point, been through menopause, right? She, you know, people in the ancient Near East, believe it or not, they were aware of how sex worked, like they knew how menopause worked, like you don't have babies after the way of women is, is, is completed. And once you go through that process, Sarah is very aware, we're aware of the science. She's, 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 they, they know how this thing works too, believe it or not, in the ancient Near East. Um, and this is why God's good news comes not with joy, but with hurt and pain. For Sarah, it really opens an old wound in her heart, right? She is, she's painfully aware that she's past the age of childbearing. She's 90 years old. And so, you know, she's wondering, like, gosh, you know, how could this possibly be true? And, and look at Abraham, man. He's 99. I mean, that guy, I mean, there's, there's no kids coming, coming from that guy either, right? So she asks this wonderfully uh, rhetorical question, you know, shall I have this pleasure, right? That's the, that's the phone. And like we're, we're hearing a very sarcastic no, right? This is not going to happen, right? Can you sympathize with Sarah? Any of you? I mean, she could be kind of the patron saint of our secular age, right? A little jaded, a little cynical. Uh, she's been let down. She's been disappointed before. She's not about to be taken in, right, by, by some ridiculous over-the-top promise of a baby when she's a senior citizen. Like, she's just not going to be had that way, right? She's, you know, she gets it. Anybody, anybody a little more skeptical, cynical in the room? You guys are all the church people. You're all, you're all like, yeah, we're here, man, because we got faith. Okay. So some of you, maybe, maybe. Um, so the question for you to consider, like, have you been in seasons of your life, right, that have stretched your faith to the breaking point? Have you been there where Sarah is at and just been like, God, what the heck are you doing? Like one of those raw just moments of like, I... I just don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. I'm not, you know, I've walked through this. I've been with Jesus. Maybe I grew up in the Christian home, did the church thing, went to Christian school. I'm in a Christian, I'm at Calvin College or Cornerstone University right now. And, you know, I'm like, I just don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. Uh, I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe the death of a loved one. I was really struck uh, in Mike Birch's elder testimony. He had three people die in his senior year of high school. I mean, that's crazy, right? When you have something like that happen, like that's a faith-stretching uh, experience. Maybe it's a struggle with singleness, a struggle with infertility, um, struggle with marriage or uh, divorce or parenting, or uh, maybe, you know, with school and finding your career and your calling, right? I've been through some pretty big stretches of faith in my own life, right? Trying to figure out 
what I was supposed to do with my life, my calling in the world. Um, planting Redemption City Church was a crazy stretch of, of faith to go from being a youth pastor down in South Florida to, to planting a church here in uh, my wife's hometown. Um, stepping into the world of foster care. Boy, I could tell you some great stories about, about stepping into the world of foster care over the last seven years with you know 11 or 12 kids that we've had through our home, right? We've all been there, right? We've been through these stretching seasons where it's hard to believe the good news, right? It's hard to trust God that his promises are still for us, that they're still good. So we've seen Sarah's faith stretched to the point of breaking, right? How, how does God respond to her, and what can that teach us about the life of faith? Right? Have you ever wished that God himself would minister directly to your pain and the wounds in your life instead of the well-meaning uh, attempts of your friends and family and pastors like that? Ever thought that? Wouldn't it be nice if like God would just like step in and give me some personal counseling and would just kind of address some of the the doubts and the fears and the anxieties I have instead of the very imperfect people that God has happened to put into my life who they mean well, but they're trying, right? In this circumstance here, we have God himself. This is one of those rare but important accounts in the Old Testament where God himself does just that. He meets this hurting woman with startlingly direct questions. So, so I want to close with God's searching questions here this morning. There are two of them. And both of them really make us think, right? Because they're some very thoughtful questions. They're, they're why questions, questions that get at intent and purpose and meaning in our lives. Uh, notice the questions that God asks to Sarah. This is starting in verses 13 and 14. The Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time next year, I will return to you about this. I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. Isn't that interesting, right? We could really read these questions like as a rebuke, right? And, and it's pretty simple to do that, right? Because that's just kind of how we think about God, Right? that God is, is going after us, right? The Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? Like, and we're just like, whoa, that's pretty intense. But I think God's trying to draw out Sarah's heart, right? That's what we do when we ask why questions, isn't it? Why questions are powerful questions. They, they, they get at our motivation, purpose, desire. They draw out our heart. God is drawing out Sarah's heart. Why did you laugh, right? It's getting at some of the pain, some of the hurt, uh, some of the wounds in her own. God is, God is, probing this wound very carefully, right? God is asking her, he's trying to draw her out. Sarah, what's going on? Why are you so cynical? Why are you so jaded? Why is there so much doubt in your heart? Unfortunately, at this point, Sarah is not in a position to be vulnerable, right? She is mortified that she, that what she thought was private laughter has now become a public conversation, right? She's mortified that her pain has been exposed to strangers. She's mortified, right, that, that all of a sudden her lack of faith, right, is on display for everyone to see. Have you ever been there? Your private thoughts have somehow been exposed to the world and you just find yourself in that very uncomfortable place of, of having to deal with your own issues, right, that have now been put on display. What you thought were private 
thoughts in your mind or private thoughts in your heart or in your journal or in your diary have now been exposed to the world. And you're like, what the heck do I do? Anybody cringing right now for Sarah? I know I was as I was reading through this text here. So what does she do in 15? The pressure is on. You know, she's been asked these deep questions. And here's the answer. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. It's interesting here, right? She lies. And the narrator tells us why she was afraid, right? What do you think she was afraid of? Afraid of her own emotions, you know, afraid of what these men might think of her or Abraham might think of her, right? Afraid of what they might do in a culture like this, like, you know, because she's being disrespectful or uh, not believing. Like, there's a lot of fear driving her reactions, right? She clearly doesn't feel safe enough to be honest about her emotions, her bitterness, her unfulfilled dreams, which is pretty, pretty sad, right? But I know I can relate too. Like, I, I struggle with vulnerability. Any, anybody else any of struggle with vulnerability, with letting your, your doubts and your fears and your questions actually come out before God and others? Yes, that's terrifying to me. And so if you're in that boat with Sarah, um, I'm right there with you as well. But God won't let her off the hook, will he? He says, no, but you did laugh, right? He exposes her cynicism not to embarrass her or to shame her, but so that she can receive healing and so she can ultimately be restored to faith. God wants to bring her to a place where she actually believes that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Right? It's sometimes it's hard to believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord because of the hard things in our lives. Right? If nothing's too hard for the Lord, why am I in the position in which I find myself? Why are things not working out, right? If God can just wave his magic wand and all of my problems can go away, why do I have such intractable problems in my life and in my heart, my relationships, my job at school or whatever it might be, right? Do you realize the dilemma here, right? We, we find ourselves in hard places and we wonder if nothing is too hard for the Lord, why are we here? What is going on, right? If you find yourself here this morning, I want to offer three important clues to finding your way home in closing. Three, three, three crumbs that you can follow home to the great feast of God's love. Uh, and they are these three things, gospel, safety, and time. These are three things that uh, if you've been through our membership class, Ray Ortland loves to emphasize at uh, Grace Emmanuel Church. But these, these three clues, I think, will help lead you home. Let's start with gospel. Sarah has some really good news. That's what gospel means, right? Good news. God told her that she was going to have a child whose distant descendant would bring God's blessings to all the nations of the world. The Apostle Paul even says that in some sense, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham and Sarah. You can see that in Galatians 3.8, where that very word is used. While they had no idea how this would happen, they did have some incredible promises from God. And so no matter how hard the times that we're going through, we have even better news and even better promises. So whatever hard times, whatever struggles, whatever difficulties, we need to remember the promises of God, right? Instead of the promise of a baby born to a 90-year-old woman, we have the good news of a virgin birth, right? Of a virgin who's going to be with child and who's going to step into the world to be the Messiah, God's great rescuer. Instead of God coming down to dinner with Abram, we have God taking on flesh and blood, moving into the neighborhood to share a meal with people there in the first century. We have the best news imaginable. 
God's kingdom coming into the world. Instead of God condemning us for our failures of faith, God sends his own son, right, to die on a cross in our place for our sins. We have a message of scandalous grace for sinners and sufferers. That's what Jesus offers in his death and in his resurrection. Uh, This beautiful grace that opens up uh, a new kind of safety for us to step into the life with uh, God, because of Jesus has done it all, we, we get it all. We get all of his good gifts. And we talk about nothing being too hard for the Lord. We see this demonstrated in God raising Jesus from the dead. Right? And if that isn't enough, Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 tell us that God is putting everything in this broken and fallen world back together through Jesus, and he is starting with us. He's starting with our own wounds, our brokenness, our failures, our weaknesses, our sin, our suffering, all the ways that we struggle, like Sarah, to make sense of life in a fallen world. And so no matter how dark the times, we always have hope because of the gospel, the good news of what God is doing in the world. And because of the gospel, we have safety. Because Jesus has died in our place for our sins, there is therefore now no condemnation. We can come out into the open with our fears, with our doubts, with our weakness, with our failures, with our sins. We have a kind of safety that Sarah couldn't have imagined. She was afraid of being exposed, so she lied. Um, She was dealing with the God of the universe, and so she was in about as safe of hands as you could be, but she couldn't recognize that. She couldn't wrap her minds around just how safe she was. On this side of the cross, Sarah was lacking the assurance of that perfect love that casts out fear, that perfect love that Jesus showed for us on the cross, giving his life in exchange for ours. Because of the cross, we are assured of God's steadfast love. When we doubt it, when we have questions, we have concerns, right? We have only to look at the cross, Jesus' body broken for us, Jesus' blood shed for us, to know that we're welcomed in, that God's grace is for each and every one of us, right? Nobody's excluded. We have perfect safety because of that, right? We can be real. We can be vulnerable because of the safety we have in Jesus. Has that landed on you yet? Uh, We want to be a church, man, where people feel safe because of the gospel, are able to just be who they are, wherever they're at in their journey of faith, uh, and be able to experience that safety because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done. And finally, we have time. We've got gospel, we've got safety, and we have time. Sarah has been on this adventure with Abraham, following God for 25 years, still no child, still no children. Sometimes we, we need time to discover that God is trustworthy, that he is reliable. We need to see him come through for us over and over again in our lives, right? That's something that we personally need to discover. For Sarah, this is the process. This is a journey, right? 25 years in the making for her to actually figure this out. But she gets there, and that's the exciting thing. Somewhere along this journey, after 25 years of just doubt and cynicism and just being just really jaded, right? She gets there. The author of Hebrews, I love this, tells us in Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. I love that. Since she considered him faithful 
who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I love that, right? She came to a point of faith, but it took amount of time, right? She comes around to God's faithfulness. Over time, she gets the point, right, that God is faithful. And standing on this side of the cross, we have even more reason to believe that God is faithful, that he who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to completion in us. We see this in the stories of scripture, right? We see this um, hearing other people's stories uh, as we're sharing those with other believers and looking at God's faithfulness in their lives. And I have certainly seen it in my own life, in my own faith journey, watching God walk with us these 40 years. Um, and so there's, there's gospel for you this morning. There is safety and there is time to figure out. Those are the kind of things that, that the culture we want to see established here at Redemption City Church that we would be more and more of a church where we're a good news church, we're a gospel church. When you come here, you're going to hear the good news of Jesus. You're going to be pointed to what he does and what he says and who he is and all that he is for us in Jesus by the power of his spirit. Uh, and that we'd be a church, right, where, where you're safe. You can be vulnerable. You can be open with the struggles and the fears and the questions that you have. And, and that you'd have the time to walk out that journey. We're going to walk alongside you, take in that next step of faith. And so let me pray that God would be forming more of that culture here and that we would live more into this story uh, in lives of faith. And so, Father, we thank you so much for uh, this story. Thank you for these Old Testament carriers. We thank you for Sarah, God. Uh, it's so easy for us to relate to her struggles to believe, um, her struggles to trust, her struggles to be uh, vulnerable. Uh, God, not having the good news of the gospel, not having all the glories that we have in front of us, uh, not having God's grace on display, not having the promise of no condemnation. God, so would those truths of the gospel come home to us in ways that would set us free, God, from the fears that have their hold on us, from the doubts right now that are gripping our hearts, from the cynicism, from the jadedness. God, would your grace just break through in new and beautiful ways, all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.